Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Well, good morning. We got your Bibles. Turn them to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to kind of pick up on what I was talking about on Wednesday night. If you weren't here, Wednesday night I taught what I tried to teach Sunday morning last week. So if you hadn't heard it, go online. If you weren't here Wednesday night, go online and listen to it. You're going to need to because it kind of pairs with this. This is kind of like part two of, um, of what we talked about on Wednesday night. Uh, we took Numbers chapter 16 and we went through it um, and just had some incredible nuggets that we received from Numbers chapter 16. The, the crux of that message, to catch some of you up just a little bit, is that the, the people of God with the leadership of a few rebelled against Aaron and Moses because they were, they were jealous and they were bitter and they wanted to manipulate and control the situation and they wanted to rise to a level of leadership that they didn't have. And, uh, and they wanted to put themselves in the place of the priest. Now that's important that we understand because we're going to read here in Peter where Peter kind of connects those two dots. Um, we said on Wednesday night that most of the time when Satan tries to tempt you or trick you, he uses truth. There's some truth and what he's bringing to you to get you off track. And uh, the truth of the matter was that we are priests. We're kings and priests to our God. And it's proclaimed in Peter that we're about to read that that's the case. And these folks in the Old Testament wanted to, to put themselves before God's timing. They wanted to become those priests and act, act like priests and, uh, and establish it outside of the time frame of God. And we learned the lesson of how important it is, even though this might be your anointing, this might be your calling, but to wait on the timing of God because it's imperative. And so we're going to pick that up with Peter, and I'm going to go through the second chapter. I'm going to try to make it through the whole second chapter. But before I do that, I need to start in verse 22 in, uh, in, in chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. This kind of sets it up, it kind of tells us, it gets us started so that we can receive the message that he's giving in chapter 2. Now you've got to remember, when you read Scripture, when you read Peter, you have to understand that he's writing a letter. And so it's not like he takes bit, they take bits and pieces of it. We digest it, but they read a letter, you know? And so you need to know what he's talking about before you can get into what he's talking about. Yeah. you got to know what he's talking about beforehand so you can understand what he's talking about now. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to do. Verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This begins to set things up in, uh, for us as we understand how important the Word of God is. It's the enduring Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the work of the Word of God in the life of a believer that actually is going to do the work. You've got to understand that if you aren't in the Word and, 
and, and digesting the Word and doing the Word that you have zero capability of carrying out what Peter's about to ask the church to carry out and actually is, should be the fruit of what the church... In other words, it's effortless because it happens because you are obedient. And he says here, since you have purified your souls, your soul is made up of how you think, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So he's saying that you purified yourself, you purified your soul, the way you think, the way you feel, how you establish your will based on the Word of God. And, it, it, and I want you to look at the tenses. You have, that it means it's already been done. They've already done it. You have purified your souls. How did they do that? They obeyed the truth of the Word of God. That was the whole problem that we were finding in Numbers chapter 16, that God had this plan. He had the Word. He had already spoken the Word. And these people wanted to go around the Word. They wanted to do an end around. They wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. And, and, and what he's saying is, you purified your souls. You purified the way you think. You, you got your emotions under control. You begin to feel things the way you should be feeling things. You, you're not dealing with fear and anxiousness and worry the way you used to. Why? You purified your soul by obeying the Word of God. You obeyed the truth. How'd you do that? Through the Spirit. Capital S. And you did it with sincere love of the brethren. You love one another fervently with a pure heart. In Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. In other words, it's nothing you did. It's not the flesh or the seed of man. It's not the way you became purified. It is, it is because of the incorruptible seed, which was from the Father. Jesus, born of a virgin. He is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see that we are purified by the Word of God. And the Word of God is a, came from an incorruptible seed. And by the Spirit, we were born again because of the Word of God. And the Word of God, it lives and abides forever. And us as flesh, in our own skin, in our own will, in verse 24, our flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower, it falls away. But the word of the Lord, it endures forever. It endures forever. And so to, to set all this up, what he's saying is, is that you've been born again. You've been purified. And the reason you've been purified is because you are an obedient believer of the word of God. You've got the Word of God in you. And because you've got the Word of God in you, and you, you bring that into alignment, into a marriage with the Spirit of God, where the Spirit of God reveals the truth about the Word of God and empowers you to obey the Word of God. And because you do that, your mind gets squared away. Your emotions get squared away. And you begin to love what God loves and hate what He hates. And you begin to do 
what God asks you to do and reject the things of the enemy. You identify the difference in the two, right? You begin to do the will of God. That sets everything up. And in this, in this time where we really need to get a handle on authority, and we're going to be so, so, so challenged by that in the future with the elections coming up in November. And I'm going to give you what might not be a popular view in the evangelical realm today in America. But I'm going to give you the Word of God. And you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with it. Because it's challenging. It's challenging in our thinking and it's challenging in our action. And so Paul, uh, Peter sets this whole chapter 2 up with this idea of being born again, being purified by the Word through the Spirit. And so now he says, now this is the Word which by the gospel was preached to you. In other words, he's going to, he's going to validate, he's going to reemphasize to you and me what was taught to them and what really made them pure and what they began to obey so that they could begin to walk rightly with God and so they could begin to be a witness of God. The title of the message today is Your, your, your Submission is Your Witness. Paul is I mean, Peter is really about to embark on helping us understand how important it is for us as believers to submit to authority. And in Numbers chapter 16, we see the consequences of the people of God when they don't submit to the ways and the will of God. Now, to, to set this up and begin to start talking about this authority and how we're to submit to it, we have to really understand and believe. And, and a lot of believers, they, they have a hard time with this. They have a hard time believing that, that evil men are put in authority by God. But they are. Scripture tells us that there is no authority that was not put in place by the Lord and that he uses all authority to carry out his will. What is his will? Now, you have to understand that God is not limited by time or space, right? And so he's not, he doesn't have this time frame that you have. You've got maybe 81 years, 84 years, depending on how old you are. The life expectancy today is somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe 78 years, depending on how young you might be. You know, so there is a life expectancy. God is not limited to your life expectancy. He is not thinking about that. What he is thinking about is the day then that he gets everything in place where he can say to his son, go, rescue, redeem the final day in which he comes back and he restores the earth the way he intended. That is God's time frame. That is God's will. And every authority that is in place is there to bring an end to history as we know it. That's the will of God. He's going to do that, and he's going to use all authority to bring things about to get that place where he says, go get him, Jesus. Y'all ready for that? 
I'm ready for that too. And so we have to understand that he, he's put all authority in place. And, 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 he, and he's reiterating to us, this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word that purified you, changed you. This is the incorruptible seed. That you, because of who you are, because you've been born again, lay aside all, I've got all circle, all anger, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all, again, I've got all evil speaking. As newborn babies desire, I've got desire circled in my Bible, the pure milk of the word. Why? You need to desire the word that you may grow. Thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, gracious. There's this place where if you really believe that the grace of God can transform you, there should be, and there should, there should be an appetite, a desire for the pure milk of the word. Why? Because it is what transforms you. It is what feeds you. It is what brings about right thinking. And so you, you, there should be in you this desire to do the word and to make sure that you are obedient to the word, that you should desire the food of the word of God and know that the Lord is gracious because you've tasted it. Now, this word gracious here is grace. He's gracious. That his power in you is enough. It can do the work of the word. It could bring about the change needed in your life. It could bring about the change needed in the people that you love's life. If you begin to pray and pursue the Lord, and if you begin to pray the Word of God over them, that you believe that the Word of God is gracious towards them, it's this posture that you should desire this because you know that it's your only hope, the Word of God. And then he says in verse 4, come to Jesus as to a living stone who was rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Come to Jesus because he was chosen by God, and he's precious. I think, to me, when you really think about those words that are chosen by Peter to describe the love of God toward Jesus, Father God says about Jesus, he's, he's precious. He's precious. He's precious. How many grandparents do we have in the room? Are they precious? They are precious. You know, our kids are precious most of the time. For the most part, precious. <laughs> they might not be precious until something bad happens to them. Then they become really precious, don't they? And you want to just really protect them. But Father God says about Jesus that he's precious. And, and, his, and Peter says, come to Jesus as to a living stone. 
This is alive. This is life. This is something that's moving and building and active. And he says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're a holy priesthood. You, too, are a living stone. You, too, are in the process of God building you up into a spiritual house. That's kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, he, he's saying to you, you come to Jesus, my precious one, as a living stone. You recognize that, that he has life and not death. And you also are the same as Jesus. That's, that's neat to me. You too are a living stone. I've built this house. It's precious. I'm in process through him of building your house, building you up. Precious. That you're a holy priesthood. That you bring sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For those of you who hadn't heard, you really, you know, again, I put emphasis on you guys going Wednesday night and listening. Because their desire, the church's desire, was to be priests. And it was just outside of God's time. And God had not provided the sacrifice so that there could be priests because he knew that there was going to be a day that he made that sacrifice and they were brought in to the priesthood. The church was brought in to the priesthood. And that's what Peter is doing right here. He knows that the church before this day, before Jesus, had always lived uh, in, in, in this place that they didn't have this ministry. And now this ministry was going to be opened up to them because of the work that Jesus did. And Paul is, I mean, Peter is engrafting Paul. Paul wrote most of the Bible, but not this one. Peter is engrafting us in to what God did and was going to do and what Satan tried to do the end around with in the desert. And so there, and then he says in verse 6, Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay as... In Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Who is precious? Jesus is precious. But to, um, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. You can see this passage of Scripture coming to life in the media today. It's one way or another. It's one way or another. They stumble being disobedient to the Word. How do they stumble? How do you stumble? How do I stumble? The way we stumble is by becoming disobedient to the Word of God. When we think 
when we respond, when we do things that are contrary to kingdom, we're responding uh, in a disobedient way. There's no partial obedience. There's no such thing as partial obedience. You either respond by the word of God or you do not. It's one or the other. It's kingdom or it's not. And so disobedience to the word causes us to stumble. But then he says, but you, you and me, we are a chosen generation. We've been chosen by God. We've been picked out. Why were you picked out? Because God knows your heart. Is that predestination? I don't know. I know this. You were chosen, right? I could argue predestination. I can argue against it. I can argue both. But I know this. You were picked out by God, a chosen generation. For what? To be a royal priesthood. To be a holy nation. You were picked out to be his special child. A chosen person. A chosen people. That you were picked out with this. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and transferred you into light. And I just want you all to know, Stephen read that passage of scripture and had no idea that I was about to preach on it. I love it when God does that. That blows me away. And so what he does, he establishes you and says, this is who you are. This is what you, you were chosen to do this because you've been transferred. You were once, uh, you were not a people, you uh, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who not, had not obtained mercy, but now you've attained mercy. In other words, he is talking about, if you understand this, exactly what we were talking about Wednesday in Numbers, that, that, that you know Israel was the church, but now he's grafting in the church brought in by Jesus Christ. Why? Because we obey the word, because we are, are, are looking at Jesus as the cornerstone, and he's the precious provision of God so that we could be born again. And, and we have been transferred from that from that darkness into light. We have obtained mercy from God. Do you remember on Wednesday night, if you weren't here, we talked about on Wednesday night that the plague began to break out on the 14,000 plus people and, and Moses said, Aaron, run, get the sacrifice. Take it into the middle of the people. And Aaron runs and he grabs the oil and he takes it in the middle of the people and 14,000 had already died. And where he brought the sacrifice in and made atonement for their sin, the plague stopped. And it's a picture of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And it said, it separated, it stopped, and he stopped, and he separated the living from the dead. He separated the living from the dead. You're alive in Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's precious. And you too are a precious stone building, being built up. And so then he goes on and starts to begin to tell us how to live. He says, beloved, I beg you. Look to the person next to you and say, I beg you. Peter begs you. 
as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, which war against the way you think. The lust in your flesh wars against godly thinking. It wars against stable emotions. It wars against you choosing the will and the ways of God by obeying the word. Your flesh wants to rebel and do its own thing. Your flesh wants what it wants when it wants it. And it says right here, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against you. Now, I love this term. It's a great term, but I want you to really understand it because I think it makes a huge difference in our political climate. I just really want to talk to you about that right now because it's, I think it's important, and this is the part that might not be popular with a lot of evangelical people, but I, but I, I think it's biblically accurate, so I'm going to present it to you, and I'm going to ask you to weigh it. We are sojourners and pilgrims here and that means that we have no rights as citizens. This is not our home. Our home is kingdom. And as a citizen of the United States of America, I'm not a citizen if I'm a believer. And I don't have rights as a citizen. And so this is going to this is going to begin to, you have to understand this, to begin to understand um, what he's about to talk to us about. He's saying to you and me that the government is not the answer. This is not your government. This is not your citizenship. Your citizenship is kingdom. And here's the bent. There's a lot of evangelicals who want to manipulate and control those in office to get conservative Christian views established in government. There's a lot of control and manipulation, just like you saw in Numbers chapter 16. And I don't think that's the posture that we're about to see. I'm going to let you judge, but I don't think that's the posture we're about to see because we're not citizens here. And I don't think it's the answer. I don't think manipulation and control is the answer. I think that's Jezebel, regardless of how Christian, evangelical, conservative you put on it. You can paint the pig, but the pig is still a pig. You can put lipstick on it, but it's still a pig. I know I got a pig. What this is scripture, and I want you to see this as we go. What this scripture is going to do is it's going to tell you and me that the way to success is to change the world by changing your behavior so the world is drawn to the glory of God. The reason we're in the condition we're in is because there's not enough people who really want the will of God. You know, we had like five options of believers. We had like five options of people who would carry out biblical standards in, 
in the presidency. And, and, and the people of this nation did not choose them. See, it's not about that. Because the manipulation and the control said they were unelectable. Why? Because they really had biblical values. And if you have real biblical values, you can't win an election. So what, so what, is, what is the way out? The way out is not manipulation and control. The way out is to be the kind of example that might change the status quo with the population across the board so we'll actually vote somebody in who will legislate according to biblical standard. Right? All right, now, so let's look at this passage of Scripture as we deal with that because we're going to start talking here about that. Staying from lust which wars against your soul. Having your conduct honorable among Gentiles has everything to do with how you act and not what you say. What you say is empty words. If what you do isn't lined up with Scripture, make sure your conduct is honorable among those who do not call themselves Christians. That's the Gentile. Those who serve other gods, those who are not part of the church. That when they speak against you as evildoers, when they say you're intolerant, when they say the things they say about Christians, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. By the way you respond, by what you do, they will observe that and they will glorify God because they begin to choose His way because they see His way being good in your life. Therefore, by honoring people, by making sure that you observe the will and the words of God so that those that don't believe see you, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Circle that, underline that, put red marks around that. And I would give you, let me give you several words that I think you need to circle. Therefore, submit yourself to every. Every would be something I might circle. Every ordinance of man. Why? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, whether to the president, or to the governors as to those who, sent, uh, who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Why? Because this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put the silence, the ignorance of foolish men. So it's not manipulation. It's not control. It's not a godly form of rebellion. It's actual behavior that's conducive to representation of the kingdom of God. 
And then it says, For this is the will of God, that you could turn and silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using freedom as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. What do you do? You honor all people. Circle that. Honor all people. Honor means to value greatly. Circle all people. For you conservative Republicans, you need to honor Hillary Clinton. For you liberal Democrats, you need to honor Donald Trump. That's tough, isn't it? Because they are people, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure. It's challenging, is it not? How about those who wrong you? How about those who don't treat you right at work? How about those who gossip against you or lie about you? Your call is to honor them so that they might see God. Honor people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, I want you to go back, and I want you to, to circle in verse 13 the therefore. He talks about who you are. He talks about who Jesus is. He talks about you getting in. He talks about what the Word of God does. And because the Word of God does that, therefore you respond like this. In other words, this should be the fruit of, of what we've already experienced. The purity of the Word of God doing its work in us. Now it gets, it gets better, but it kind of feels like it's a little worse <laughs> as we go. We've done the easy part. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Servants, slaves. In the culture, if you, if you owed somebody money and you could not pay them back, you and your family would become servants to that household for seven years. And at the end of seven years, there was rules and in the 49 years, there were rules. There was the year of Jubilee where everything that you, that you turned over to them, so you turned your whole net worth over to whoever you were serving because you owed them money. And what this says right here is, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Why? It goes back to chapter 1, verse 22, because you've been born again by incorruptible seed, and the word of God lives and abides in you forever. I want you to be submissive to those masters without fear, not only to the good ones and to the gentle ones, but to the harsh ones. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Why do you do it? Because of your conscience toward God. 
you endure that grief and that suffering and that being treated wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, if you deserve a spanking or a beating, which is just brutal in a slavery situation. I mean, he's not, he's not making this easy for you and me. America is a piece of cake. See, what good is it if you deserve that spanking, if you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is what's commendable before God. For to this you were called. Remember who you are? You're the called out ones. What are you called to do? Submit patiently to those that are harsh over you, that have authority over you. For to you, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. He was beaten. He was bruised. He died for our sin. He died. He was beaten without cause. Sinless. And his posture during that, Peter is saying, was our example of how to deal with those who are in authority over us. Jesus endured the cross, leaving us an example that you and me should follow in his footsteps. <coughs> Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, when he was hated, when he was mistreated, when he was, when he was used and brutally beaten, did not respond in like manner. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. It's a tough calling. This is not easy teaching. This is, this is, this is tough. Let me tell you what's normal. Let me explain to you what I experience all the time in the church. I was talking to a believer the other day. He's not a part of this congregation. He doesn't even live in this state. So you can't figure out who it was. <laughs> this is what he said. He got a bad business deal. And he really talks about the Lord all the time. He's in, very active in ministry. Had a bad business deal. Some guy really did him bad. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. And he said, when I go to Atlanta, I'm going to run into him. 
And then when I run into him, I'm going to break his nose. And I said to him, bro, you can't do that, bro. I mean, I understand. You know, you want to bring some pastoral care. <laughs> but I don't, you know, that's, you know, I mean, we talk about it, but I can hear you talking about this. And it's eating you up, man. It's, it's bitterness. And this is what he said. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I said, yeah, you are. I am not bitter. I'm telling you right now, I'm not bitter. Yeah, you are, man. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you this. If I see him in Atlanta, I'm going to break his nose. Well, you're bitter, man. That's going to eat you up. Man, I'm telling you, I'm not bitter. We do it all the time. Because it takes the grace of God and it takes the Word of God. Do you believe that the Word of God is gracious? You believe it has power? But see, there's no way to do what Peter's requesting us to do right here without the graciousness of our God. And he's the chief cornerstone. He says for you and me to be like that living stone, being built up. He, God is building his spiritual house, and it's got your name. And it, it, it is to contain the attributes and the glory of our God. And because of how that house is run and how that behavior is exemplified, then the world will see the glory of God and choose it. And that is the answer to our nation's problems, not manipulation and control. It just needs the church to be the church that Jesus designed. A priest recognizing that we're sojourners and pilgrims. We don't have rights here. You're not a citizen here. You're a citizen of the kingdom. You got kingdom rights. a paradigm shift, isn't it? It's not a request. It's not, well, if you feel like it. It might be a good idea. I, 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 that's, why, that's what bothers me about Scripture sometimes. God doesn't say, you know, it might be a good idea if you feel like it. You know, on Monday you can be like this. On Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday you can go ahead and be your normal self. It doesn't do that. It challenges us to be changed. And it challenges us to pray for the church. So that we're changed. So the church is changed. So it can influence the world. Powerful scripture. Tough to do. So what are you going to do with this? You know, you get two things that you can do. You can re totally reject this thinking because you're so fed up. You can say to yourself that you're not really angry about the situation we find ourselves in, our, in America. I mean, I've seen enough Facebook rants from conservative Christians that I don't even want to get on Facebook. Or you can say, Lord, help me to be that example. Lord, I believe that your word is gracious. And I'm going to honor all people. I'm going to honor all people. Say that with me. I'm going to honor all people so that they might be saved. 
And it's the graciousness of our God. It's the mercy of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. It's hard in our culture. It's hard in this society. You said that we would be a peculiar people. You said we're a bunch of weirdos because we're not of this land. We don't have any rights here, God. Our rights are kingdom rights. And how we bring kingdom is obey the word. That brings life and not death. You made atonement so that we might live. And as we live, God, we're to represent wholeness. We're to represent purity. We're to represent the nature and the character of our God. So that those who are who hate us and revile us might be saved. That we can change our nation. I'm reminded, Lord, of the scripture said, look to the heavens from whence where our help comes from. Let it be so, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.